0: Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, visit therockonline.org. And now a message from The Rock of Gainesville. I, uh, I want to be, I'm not always, you know, I'm human, uh, but I always want to be a man of honor and uh, a man of uh, doing things right, a man of integrity. And I'm a big believer that you should never bring the word. I shouldn't stand up here and bring the word uh, without a, unless I have a pure heart. And there are things in my life that have been dealt with. And so, uh, before I bring the word today, I have, to, uh, I have to ask your forgiveness and repent to you. Uh, Pastor Ron failed this week. He failed this week and uh, it wasn't intentional. It just sort of happened. Uh, but I, I, I hit a crossroads in my life. And I, it was worse than that. I watched a Hallmark movie. <laughs> yeah. I am, I am praying and believing that, uh, I, first of all, all you men, please forgive me. I mean, just just forgive me. That's all I can ask. Just forgive me. I'm praying that I will get my manhood back before the end of deer season and uh, things will transpire. But, but see, here's, here's the worst part. It wasn't that bad. They have one at Graceland? Oh, I'm looking for that one, baby. Yeah, I'm, thank you very much for telling me that. I appreciate it. They got one, they got one at Graceland. I'm going to be looking for that one, so. Hallelujah. So, so that, that's all done. Things are clear. We're ready to rock and roll. All right. Uh, we're talking about the joy of Christmas. And last week, we talked about the joy of Christmas, and Pastor Ron talked about Emmanuel, God with us. This week I want to talk about the joy of Christmas and I want to talk about Emmanuel, God with us. I want to do part number two. I said something at the end of last week's message that I just couldn't get out of my heart. I made a statement about God being with us, but are we with God? And so as I start today, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I will probably ask you a series of questions. And the first question is this, as we talk about Emmanuel, God is with us. The statement I want to make is, God is with us, but am I with God? God is with us, but am I with God? Let me ask this question. Have I lost Jesus during this Christmas season? Have I lost the splendor of his majesty? Have I lost the wonder of his birth? Have I lost the magnificence of him coming as Messiah to all the world? Have I lost Jesus during this hustle bustle, crazy, gotta get this done, gotta go here, gotta go there, crazy Christmas season, have I I lost sight? Have I lost connection? Have I lost the reality of Jesus during this particular season? Now, second question, how do I lose Jesus? I mean, he is the Messiah, I mean, after all, he is the one that's, I know where he is, he's at the right hand of God the Father, interceding on my behalf right now. I know where he is, so I've got to ask the question, how do I lose Jesus? Well, here's one way that we lose Jesus. Watch this. I stayed with Lieutenant Dan and celebrated the holidays. Have you found Jesus yet, No. I didn't know I was supposed to be looking for him, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's one way we lose Jesus. In the midst of this crazy season, we forget that we should be focusing our full attention on the glory of who he is in our lives and looking for him. So again, we can say, well, I can't lose Jesus. You want to bet? Well, his parents did. His parents did, Luke chapter 2, verse 44 and 45, look at what it says. It says, thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day, and then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. So we can sit here all day and say, well, you know, I'm not going to lose Jesus. Well, Mary and Joseph did a pretty good job of it and then realized we've got to do something about this because we've lost Jesus and we need to go find him. Now uh, I want to give him a little bit of a break and that's pretty easy to do. Let's look at the context of Luke chapter two. The context of Luke chapter two is this. First of all, it's the chaos of Passover, Three times a year, the entire nation of Israel went to Jerusalem to celebrate the feasts of their nation. They went there in Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. And Luke chapter two, the context is the, the, literally the chaos of Passover. Now, kind of get this in your mind for just a second. No matter where I am in Israel, I can be at Capernaum, I can be in uh, Galilee, I can be in Caesarea Philippi, or I can be in Nazareth, a long, long, long way away, I still have the mandate of needing to get down to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And I, I, I gotta understand something that when I get down there, it's gonna be crazy because the entire nation of Israel is going to this one city called Jerusalem. Now, to give you a little bit of a context of that, Think about Ben Hill Griffin Stadium on a Saturday and multiply it by about a thousand. I mean, you got this massive crowd converging on Jerusalem to celebrate the beauty of Passover. Then you got the caravan of Passover. Not real easy to get there. I've gotta go from all these different regions and I've gotta get there by whatever means of transportation I'm able to do that. That doesn't mean I'm gonna show up on 747. I'm not going on a Greyhound bus. I'm not going in a limousine. I may be going on foot, or I may be going on the back of a donkey. And then not only do I have to get there, I gotta get home. I'm gonna be in Jerusalem for 14 days celebrating a wonderful feast and honoring God, but I've gotta get there and get back. So I've gotta get this caravan of Passover going. Now, it would be real, real, real easy Real easy for me to substitute the word Passover there for the word Christmas. The chaos of Christmas. All the things I've got to do. All the places I've got to be. All the shopping I've got to get done. All the lists I've got to fill. The the chaos of getting here and getting there and going to one million and two Christmas parties. (laughs) Got to go to them all because we just don't wanna say no to anybody, right? So I gotta go to those Christmas parties. So I got this crazy, crazy day going on, and then there's the caravan of Christmas. That means I may be just leaving Fletcher's Mill and going to the mall, or maybe somebody like you going from Gainesville to somewhere all over the place by car, or train, or caravan, or whatever means of transportation you have gotta use to go to some Outlandish area like Minnesota and celebrate with family. You ever been to Minnesota? DC and Susan just got back from Minnesota and they said it wasn't bad when they were coming, when they were there. They they said it wasn't bad when they were there. It was 24 degrees. It wasn't bad at 24? It's not bad at 24. How many of you know hell is not hot? Hell is cold. <laughs> so it doesn't matter. You've got, you got to go somewhere, and you've got to make this caravan to go to wherever it is you're going to celebrate this thing called Christmas. So I could easily substitute the word Passover there for Christmas and talk about the chaos of Christmas and the caravan of Christmas. Now, why is that important? Why Does that matter? Here's why it matters. Because the same thing that caused them to misplace Jesus is the same thing that causes us to misplace Jesus. The same things that were going on in Joseph and Mary's life are going on in our lives today. Here they are, distractions. Verse 41, I got to get to Passover. It doesn't matter if I'm right there on the outskirts of Jerusalem I've got to get to Passover. Or if I'm in Nazareth, the farthest city away from the capital city, I've got to find a way to get down there. I'm rushing. I'm not only hurrying there, I'm hurrying home. I'm going to be in Jerusalem for 14 days. And as I'm in Jerusalem for 14 days, that celebration is going to end. now I've got to get back home and get back into the normal sequence of life and start earning a paycheck again. Negligence. They were totally unaware that Jesus wasn't there. Look, how many of you have found yourself, and if you have said or are saying yes to this, you're not a bad parent. PR has done it himself. How many of you have found yourself at the mall, and all of a sudden you look down, and your child's not standing next to you? Have you ever done that? How'd you feel? Huh? Say it out loud. <laughs> Crazy in it, and you're not a bad parent, just not really unaware. Why you're thinking that they're there, which is number four, verse forty-four. They were thinking that Jesus was there. So the same things that caused them to misplace Jesus are the same things that cause us to misplace the importance of Jesus during this Christmas season. So let me ask you a question again. One more question: Where can I find Jesus if I have the potential? to lose Jesus or lose sight of who he is in my life during this wonderful holiday season knowing that he is Emmanuel God with me if i have the ability or the opportunity or the potential to lose Jesus during this holiday season then i also have to know in my spirit that i can also find him i can find Jesus all right let me ask you the question where can i find Jesus if i am finding myself in that position of saying Where are you, God? Where are you, God? This crazy season is causing me to cry out, where are you, God? Where can I find Jesus? Here you go. Where can I find Jesus? Jesus can be found right where you last left him. How many of you, like Pastor Ron, would say, there was a season in my life till I so felt the presence of God. It was so real. I heard his voice and the majesty of everything that He is and everything that He's going to be in me was so legitimate, but yet I'm walking through that season season now, and I'm wondering, where are you, God? How many of you would say that there was a season in my life where I just knew Jesus was walking with me, but now I'm not knowing, knowing that I'm able to find Him? Well, how do you find Him? Here's the question I would ask you. What were you doing during that season when you knew that you knew that you knew? That the presence of God was with you? What were your spiritual disciplines? What was the condition of your heart? What was the attitude of your spirit? What was going on in your life when you would say, I knew God was a part of my life at that point, but I don't feel it now? Well, then here's Pastor Ron's encouragement to you. Go back to that place. Go back to that place, because Jesus can be found there. Look at Luke chapter 2, verse 44. Thinking he was in their company, They traveled on for a day, then they began looking for him. Where'd you go, God? Where are you now? And they're looking for him among relatives and friends and all the logical places and all the normal things we do in our Christian walk. When they all of a sudden did not find him, they went back. They went back. They went back. Sometimes, guys, I've got to go back to that point in my life where I knew the reality of God was so valid. It was so real. It was so legitimate. And I've got to ask myself, what was going on in that moment of time? What was going on in my life? What was the attitude of my heart? What do I need to do to confirm the presence of God today in my life? Second Kings chapter 6 is a great illustration of what I'm talking about. The nation of Israel had this group of prophets that needed to build a building. And they they weren't really great at it. They didn't have foresight construction. <laughs> they didn't have foresight construction. So they're trying to build a building on their own. Now look, they're prophets. They're, they're not construction people, but they're, they're, they're given the task of building this building. Here's what it says. Watch this. The company of the prophets said to Elisha, look, the place where we're meeting with you is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan where each of us can get a pole and let us build a place for us to meet. And Elisha said, go. And then one of them said, won't you please come with us, your servants? I will, Elisha replied, and he went with them. They went to the Jordan and they began to cut down trees. And as one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head, the iron axe head. The iron axe head fell into the water. Oh no, my Lord, he cried. It was borrowed. And the man of God asked this crazy question. Where did it fall? Where'd you lose it? Where'd you lose it? Go back to where you lost it. Where'd you lose sight of it? Where'd you lose possession of it? When he showed in the place, Elisha put a stick into the water and threw it there and made the iron float. Here's the principle you got to get. Guys, God will do the impossible to make himself known to you. Iron doesn't float, baby. You guys know this as well as I do. I throw iron into the water, it's sinking to the bottom, just like I swim. It's not going to float. But there was something phenomenal that God wanted to do in their life that he literally did the miraculous so that the impossible, so that they would know him And he would have that reconnection with them. God's going to do the impossible to make himself known to you. My man Tom over there said something during prayer before the first service that really spoke to me because it's so biblical. He said, God will sometimes do the illogical to make himself aware of who he is in your life. He'll do the illogical. You know, the Bible says this, casting down imaginations. You know that word imaginations is where we get our English word logic. Sometimes i got to cast logic down. i just got to say, you know, God, this doesn't make any sense to me, but I don't care, you're still God. I don't know how this is going to happen, but I don't care, you're still God. I don't see an end result here, but I don't care, you're still God. I don't know the process of walking through this, but I don't care, you're still God. I don't see this mountain coming down, but you're still God. You're still God. You're still God. God will do the illogical. God will do the illogical. God will make the things that just don't seem normal so that He can make Himself known to you. Andy Stanley has a quote in his book, Visioneering, that talks about how God wants to position you and I so that He can put in that, put us rather, in that place of doing that miraculous work. But He's got to put us in a place, He's got to position us to be able to experience his presence. Here's what Andy Stanley says. Look at this. So be encouraged. The agony you're experiencing is normal. The loneliness you feel is expected. The sleepless nights when you stare up at the ceiling and think, what have I gotten myself into? They're all part of the process. How many of you feel really encouraged right now? Well, let's keep reading. How's that? All of those experiences, all those dark nights, all of those shaking the fist in the air, all of those big question marks that hit you in your mind, all of those experiences will ultimately lead you to the conclusion, God, if you don't come through, I'm sunk. And that is exactly where he wants you to be. It's exactly where he wants us to be because that's when he shows up. That's when his presence becomes real. That's when everything he says that he is becomes reality to you and I. So where can Jesus be found? Right where you last left him. Number two, where else can Jesus be found? Here we go. Jesus can be found among the teachable. I, I love that characteristic in your life. I love a teachable spirit. I love someone that will walk into my office and say, Pastor Ron, man, I'm struggling right now, but I don't know what to do. So help me figure this out. Help me learn. Show me what I need to do. Teach me what God's word says about this situation. I love a teachable spirit. One of the greatest characteristics in the kingdom of God. And Jesus can be found among that person that will say, I don't know what to do. God, show me your ways because they're higher than mine. I don't know what to do, but your ways are going to lead me in that way. Just show me what to do. God will be found among the teachable. Look at this. After three days, they found him. Where'd they find him? They found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions, asking them questions. Guys, Jesus reveals himself to that person that has a teachable spirit. Look at what the word says. The word says in Acts chapter five, verse 42, day after day, they never stopped teaching Hebrews 10, 25, continually meeting together and encouraging each other. Matthew 11:29, 29, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Proverbs 15, the fear of the Lord teaches a man wisdom. God reveals himself to that person that has that teachable spirit. Now, here's another question. Here's another question for you. What is teachability? We talk about being teachable. We talk about teachability a lot. What does the word teachability mean? Well, let me give you Pastor Ron's definition of teachability. Here it is. Teachability is your desire to learn multiplied by your willingness to change. Now, I think all of us really, really, really like the first part of that. But that second part of that kind of stretches us a little bit. Come on, how many of you are like me? you just don't get real excited about change. You've heard me say it a thousand times, I'm all for progress, it's change I can't stand. It stretches me, man. It makes me have to do things that I'm not comfortable doing, but teachability is my desire, my desire to learn multiplied by my willingness to change. Now look, that change is a process and that process is teachability that process that I'm going through is show me what to do and let me learn to adapt to it, God. God's not going to adapt his word to me. Let me give you this principle right here. God will never alter the robe of righteousness to fit the man. Rather, he alters the man to fit the robe. God's word, it's absolute truth. He's not going to say, well, you know, your word is kind of you know, my word is kind of messing with you, so let me soften that word a little bit for you so it kind of goes down a little easier. Let me make that word a little nicer so it kind of is easier easier, easier rather to digest. Let me take that word and sort of mold it a little bit where it really makes you just really get along with it really, really well. Now God's not going to do that, man. He's not going to alter his righteousness, but he's going to alter me so that that robe of righteousness fits me. It's not going to alter the robe of righteousness. He alters you and I so that it fits really, really snug. It fits tight. It fits right. It fits right. We were in a meeting the other day, and in this meeting we were talking about something that's always kind of been a paradox to me. Success in God's kingdom. When I think about those two phrases or two words, I have to kind of let them soak in my brain a little bit. Success in God's kingdom. How do you measure? Here's the question I wanna ask you. How do you measure success in God's kingdom? How do you do that? And I'm sure there's ways that we can all answer that and they're legitimate answers, but it's something I've always kind of grappled with. How do you measure success In God's kingdom and and uh, as we were talking I said you know that's always been a struggle for me because I've got to ask myself this question who is to say that Chris Hodges who pastors Church on the Highlands a church of 50,000 is more successful than some man pastoring a small church in the backwoods of West Virginia that gets up every day and faithfully goes and takes care of his flock He ministers to them, he loves on them, he watches out for them, he takes care of them as a good shepherd. Who's more successful, Chris Hodges with 50,000 people or this man that's faithful day in and day out with his 20? And Pastor Hector made a statement that I'm giving him credit for because he deserves it. He made a statement that uh, really kind of struck a chord in my heart. Here's the statement. Faithful adherence to God's purpose equal success. Faithful adherence to God's purpose. What has God called me to do? And am I being faithful to it? What has God called you to do? And you know what? I'm not measuring my success based upon what he's called you to do. I'm not comparing my life to your life. Comparison always leads to condemnation. I'm not going down that road. I'm not measuring my purpose in God's kingdom to your purpose in God's kingdom. I am measuring this. Am I being faithful to what God's called me to do? And are you being faithful to what God's called you to do? In doing that, there is success in God's kingdom. Number three. So where can Jesus be found? Right where you last left him. Where else can Jesus be found? With a teachable spirit. Number three. Here's the third place Jesus can be found. Luke chapter two. Here we go. Jesus can be found right here. Jesus can be found honoring the father. Jesus can be found honoring the father. Look at Luke chapter two, verse 49. Here's what it says. I-, I love the way Jesus says this too. Why were you looking for me? Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? That's where I gotta be. There's nothing more honoring than us being in that place of of honoring the Father. Look guys, you wanna find Jesus this holiday season? You wanna find Jesus in the chaos of Christmas? You wanna find Jesus in the busyness of Christmas? Then determine what brings honor to God and do it. What brings honor to God? Honoring his word, honoring his people, honoring his principles, honoring his kingdom, honoring who God is in your life and my life and Jesus, can be found there. You know, God's got plans and purposes for all of our lives, but here's the beauty of it, guys. He doesn't call us to those plans and then leave us alone. He is Emmanuel, God with you. And being Emmanuel, God with you, he lives in us to pull off those amazing things that he's invited you and I into. You know, there's nothing more honoring. Get the principle right here as I close. There's nothing more honoring Than making life decisions based upon what God has claimed about himself. I can make a life decision based upon what I think I know or what I think I want to do. There's, There's nothing honoring the father there. There's nothing more honoring to the father than to say, God, right now I need provision in my life. And you said you are Jehovah Jireh, my provider, and he provides it. That honors God. God, you said that you are my healer. I need healing my body. I need touch in my spirit. I need a wealth of ability to know God's presence in who I am right now. And I need that healing in my body. And he provides it. It's honoring to God. God, I, I'm, I'm in that place where I just, I need some strength, man. I need that little extra oomph. And you said you would give me that strength and he, he provides it. That's honoring God because that's who he says he's going to be in your life. God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. But the word says, anybody that lacks wisdom, if they ask, you will give wisdom. And he gives that wisdom, that's honoring God. Nothing more honoring to the father than making those life decisions based upon his character in your life. So where can Jesus be found during this crazy season? He is Emmanuel, God with you. And if you're here this morning and you say, you know, Pastor Ron, I know he's Emmanuel, God with me. I want to be with him. Then that has the ability to happen in your life and my life. But we got to find where Jesus is. And he's right where you last left. And he's in a place of saying, I want to know what your ways are because your ways are better than mine. And he's in that place of honoring God. Father, I want to read an article to you. Pastor sent this to me this week, and when I first read it, and he said, "You know, you can use this if you want as you share about Christmas." And I read it, and I thought, "Well, you know, I, I don't know." Then I went back, and I read the title. This is an article by John Piper, by the way, and it's during his Advent series. And I went back and read the title, and the title of it is "Why Jesus Came." Why? Jesus came. And I read it, and I read it, and I read it, and I read it. And as I read it, all of a sudden it started resonating with my spirit as I kind of got into the meat of what Piper says. Now listen, if any of you read Piper, you know you don't read John Piper one time. Come on somebody. You, you write him, you read him a few times. And as I read John Piper's article a few times, all of a sudden something just started kind of gripping me as I read it. Here's what it says. Why Jesus came. Emmanuel. God with us. Why? Jesus came. He begins by quoting Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Here's what it says. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Here's Piper's commentary. This I think is my favorite Advent text because I don't know any other that expresses so clearly the connection between the beginning and the end of Jesus's earthly life. It is true that God so loved the world that he gave Jesus. God's design was to offer Christ to the world and to affect the salvation of his children. He was the eternal word. He was with God and he was God. But he took on flesh and blood and clothed his deity with humanity. Emmanuel, God with us. He became fully man and remained fully God. In his birth, oh, you got to listen to this now. In his birth, his life and his death, Christ defanged the devil. Come on, somebody. He defanged the devil. How? By covering all of our sin. This means that Satan has no legitimate grounds to accuse us before God. Mm. You want me to read it again? Just that line. This means that Satan has no legitimate grounds to accuse us before God. Man, let me stop right there and say this. Come on, let's give the Lord a big old fool, come on. You may have heard this illustration before but it's just jumping all over me right now there's two things that continually happen in front of the throne of god there is the accuser of the brethren that prances before the throne of god and says look at what they're doing that's your child that's the one that says they know you that's the one that follows your ways look at what they're doing right now the accuser of the brethren pointing his finger at you saying look how they're acting when they say they're a follower of yours And then sitting at the right hand of God the Father is Jesus saying, don't listen to a word he says. It's a lie from hell. That's my child and they are victorious in me. And they can do all things through Christ who continues to put power in me. There's always the accusation of the enemy and there's always the intercession of Jesus, your Savior and Lord. Mm, Because he is with us. We are free, free from death. God has justified us. Satan cannot overturn that decree. And God means for our ultimate safety to have an immediate effect on our lives. He means for the happy ending to take away the slavery and fear of the now. I'm not waiting till some sweet by and by to walk into the glory of Jesus. I've got the peace of God that passes all of man's understanding in my life today because of what Jesus did. You missed a good place to shout. If we don't need to fear our last and greatest enemy, then we don't need to fear anything. We can be free, free for joy, free for others. What a great Christmas present from God to us. Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. Bow your heads, please. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray over the people of God right now. Father, I thank you today that you are our Emmanuel. You are our hope. You are our strength you are deliverer, you are our savior, you are our bright and morning star. When the the dark of the day falls over our life, you shine bright because of the glory of your presence. You are Emmanuel, God with us. And Father, as we wrap up this time together and we pray, Over the people of our house. Father, if there's anyone here that falls into that category of how I opened this message that would say, It is God with us, but am I with God? And they could not give a positive answer to that question. Father, just touch their heart right now in Jesus' name. Just touch their heart right now in Jesus' name. Touch their heart right now in Jesus' name. Touch their heart right now in Jesus' name that they're here today and they're saying, I believe God is with us. I question whether or not I am with God. Touch their heart right now in Jesus' name. And if that's you, I wanna pray for you. Because what can transpire in this time that we're together is a change of that. It cannot just be a, an understanding that God is with you, but there can be a foundation that you are with God because he becomes your savior and your Lord. And if you're saying, Pastor Ron, that's, that's me. That's me, that's where I am, that's who I am, that's what I'm walking through. But I want that confidence that God is with me and I am with God. Would you please pray for me? I certainly will. If that's you and you desire for me to pray over you, that declaration, just put your hand up right where you are. Put your hand up right where you are, yes. Put your hand up right where you are, yes, yes. Put your hand up right where you are. Yes, I got you, sister. Yes, thank you very much. Anyone else? Anyone else want to join these four? I just want that confidence. I know God's with me. I want confidence that Jesus is my Savior and my Lord, and I am with him. Anybody else? Just put your hand up. Yes, yes, right where you are in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. All right, here's what we're going to do. Still just kind of heads bowed, eyes closed. I love, and I say this a lot. I know I do. I love how God does things for us. He makes things, doesn't always make things easy, but he makes them very simple. And the way we come to him is just to ask him to come to us, come into our lives. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says it very clearly. We confess with our mouth and we believe in our hearts. So everybody in this room is going to pray together. And if you raise your hands, that's all I want you to do. I want you to pray. And as you make that declaration, as you make that declaration, you believe it in your heart. You're confessing it with your mouth and you're believing it in your heart, and Jesus is becoming your Savior and Lord. He truly is becoming Emmanuel, God with you. So everybody in this room is gonna pray together, and we're going to do it right now. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name, and I ask you, Lord, to touch my life. I thank you for the promise that you are Emmanuel. You are with me. Now I want to solidify that I am with you. In doing so, I'm asking for forgiveness. I'm asking you to do what the Bible says. Take all those things that are old and make them new. Give me a fresh start. I ask you to forgive me of my sins, change my past, put my feet on a new path for a future. I want to walk with you And I want you to be my Savior and my Lord. And day in and day out, be my Emmanuel, God with me. Thank you for doing that. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, give the Lord a big ovation of praise. And thank God for what he's done. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, visit therockonline.org.